You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good afternoon and thanks for joining us. Beginning once again with that breaking news from the federal election campaign trail and a photo bombshell dropped on the Liberals. Time magazine has dredged up a picture from 18 years ago showing Liberal leader Justin Trudeau in a very politically incorrect costume. Our Legislature Bureau Chief Keith Baldry is in Victoria with the details on this developing story. Keith, what do we know at this yep. point? Yeah, Sophie, I tell you, the word bombshell is often overused in politics. Not in this case, folks. Take a look at this. This is a photograph Time magazine was able to get their hands on of uh, Mr. Trudeau when he was a teacher at West Point Gray Academy back in 2001, 18 years ago. You can see him there, second from the right, where he's dressed in brown face and wearing a turban. The theme of the event was Arabian Nights. Uh, obviously, this has now come back to haunt him. A Vancouver businessman was able to get his hands on this photo, gave it to Time magazine. It's dropped today in the middle of the campaign, uh, I think the Trudeau campaign into absolute turmoil. Uh, again, not talking about being off message. This is something Mr. Trudeau obviously uh, did not see coming. Just moments ago, though, uh, an emergency news conference was held on his campaign plane as they were about to depart for the Atlantic. You can see Mr. Trudeau walking up to the camera. We're going to hear from him and by NDP uh, leader Jagmeet Singh. I shouldn't have done that. I should have known better, but I didn't, and I'm really sorry. How do you feel about this coming out right now in the campaign? Uh, obviously, I, I regret uh, that I did it. Uh, it's not about timing. It's about having done something that I shouldn't have done, and I'm really sorry I did. Many in the United States, when they've been discovered with these sorts of things, they are asked to resign. Have you given thought to resign? Uh, I take responsibility for my uh, decision to do that. I shouldn't have done it. I should have known better. Uh, it was something that... Uh, I didn't think was racist at the time, but now I recognize um, it was something racist to do, and I am deeply sorry. I'm going to be uh, asking Canadians to forgive me for what I did. I shouldn't have done that. I take responsibility for it. It was a dumb thing to do. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm pissed off at myself for having done it. I wish I hadn't done it, but I did it, and I apologize for it. Well, it's troubling. I mean, it's really, it's insulting. Um, Anytime we hear examples of brown face or black facing, it's really, it's, it's, it's making a mockery of someone for what they live and what their lived experiences are. Um, I think he needs to answer for it. I think he's got to answer the question why he did that. And what does that say about what he thinks about people who, because of who they are, because of the color of their skin, face challenges and barriers and obstacles in their life? Racism is real. People in this room have felt it. I've heard the stories. I've experienced it in my life. He's got to answer those questions. All right, so that's the reaction from the leader of the NDP. Andrew Scheer, uh, we understand, is uh, going to make a comment mm -hmm. uh, sometime within this hour, we believe. But really, Keith, it's about what Canadians think. Uh, Trudeau mm -hmm. is saying that he is asking Canadians to forgive him. What kind of an impact will this picture have on Canadians? Well, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, there's been numerous examples in the past of celebrities and politicians uh, by saying they're sorry and taking full responsibility for a misdeed of surviving that and moving on and continuing on in their careers. And we'll just have to see over the next few weeks whether or not this is going to happen to Mr. Trudeau. I suspect this issue will dominate uh, all the discourse on the campaign, on all the campaigns. I don't think we're going to be talking about housing and affordability over the next couple of days. It's going to be about this, this misstep from uh, 18 years ago. But whether Canadians 
Republicans are forgiving or not. We don't know the answer to that question. We won't know until October 21st. I suspect the pollsters are going to be out in the field pretty quick uh, trying to get a testing of uh, where the public opinion is on this. Is this become the ballot box question for Canadians or is it other issues such as the proverbial affordability linked issues? Again, it's, uh, we're in char uncharted territory here. We haven't really seen an equivalent of this. One parallel, though, I'll just draw briefly to this. Gordon Campbell's drunk driving uh, charge back in 2003. Uh, he survived that and won two more elections uh, because he said he was sorry. He actually teared up at the time. And I think Mr. Trudeau will continue his apologies for some time until, uh, until this issue is put to rest. All right. We'll see how this plays out. Keith, thank you. All right. To a global exclusive now, as we hear from the young woman who says she was carjacked at gunpoint. Global's Jordan Armstrong is on the UBC campus tonight where it happened with her frightening story. Jordan? The carjacking happened here on the 10th level of UBC's West Parkade, a weird location for a crime like this to occur because the suspects would have had to weave their way down to the bottom, a process that would have taken at least a couple of minutes. Tonight, the victim is telling us about her ordeal. I have never physically like seen a gun before, and I remember my heart stopped. We'll call her Jane. The second-year UBC student is too scared to be identified, too scared to return to campus. I've never, ever felt unsafe on campus until last night. Wednesday evening, just after 6, Jane was returning to her car, parked on level 10, when she encountered the suspects loitering on level 9 of the stairwell. She had a hunch they were trouble, and she was right. They had approached me with the gun and demanded my car keys. Um, and I was like, I'll give you anything. And they just yanked my car keys out of my hand and they both got in. She says the gunman looked boyish and was apparently none too bright. He just he was looking at me almost nervous and scared himself. Um, and I remember the car, instead of reversing out of the spot, he actually jerked forward, almost hit the wall in front of him. Jane says she called 911 while the thugs were just one level below her, going around and around to get to street level. But like their escape, help was slow to arrive. It didn't seem like UBC security or the police office got there fast. Like obviously they didn't get there fast enough in the, in the time span that I thought they would because they were still in the parkade. There's only one exit to that parkade. I was on the phone with them for 20 minutes. The vehicle was last seen traveling eastbound at approximately 20 to 7 on West 3rd. Jane's car, a 2007 Kia Spectra, is still missing along with the suspects. The first described as possibly South Asian, 6 feet tall with a slim build, wearing a grey hoodie with black jogging pants. The second said to be darker skinned and wearing a dark long sleeve shirt and pants. Some of Jane's stolen belongings have been recovered, but she says there are other things she'll never get back. I just feel like I can't walk alone anywhere now. Like, I'm always going to be so on edge. Like, even just walking, if I were to get my car back or anything, even walking to a parkade now alone terrifies me. Her advice for others, walk in pairs and trust your gut. A UBC official says patrols by campus security are being stepped up. There are several surveillance cameras in this parkade. That footage is now in the hands of RCMP. At this point, they don't have anyone in custody. Back to you. Thanks, Jordan. A Surrey mother is expressing her outrage tonight now that charges against the RCMP officer who shot her son have been suddenly dropped. 20-year-old Hudson Brooks died in 2015 outside an RCMP detachment. The officer who shot him originally faced assault charges. Hudson's mother says with those charges now dropped, she feels like she's lost her son all over again. Let's see. Oh, there's another ricochet over there. 
It's been four years, and Jennifer Brooks can still see the damage underneath the South Surrey RCMP detachment. This is where her son Hudson was shot and killed. An RCMP officer shooting the 20-year-old nine times, Constable Elizabeth Kucheran, was charged with his death. But Wednesday, Crown prosecutors stayed the charges. To have this is completely blindsided. I feel like I've been hit with a baseball bat. In July 2015, Hudson Brooks was wandering alone near 152nd Street. According to Crown Counsel, he was wearing nothing but his underwear, vandalizing vehicles and screaming at the top of his lungs. According to documents, prosecutors alleged he had ingested large quantities of cocaine and alcohol. Constable Kucheron, one of the first officers to confront Brooks, she fired her gun 12 times, first at a distance of about 2 meters, and then at close range after Brooks lunged at her. An IIO investigation and Crown Prosecution collection of evidence originally charged the officer with aggravated assault. But new evidence heard at the preliminary hearing suggested Brooks was in a state called excited delirium. And that changed how prosecutors viewed the file. This uh, was likely a condition that uh, the accused was suffering under had significant ramifications for the Crown's case and our ability to prove that uh, the officer's actions, uh, particularly in the initial instance, was not justified. I really, really, we really thought we were going to get justice. I, I, I truly believe that. I truly did. And now look. This is now the second major investigation where the IIO recommended charges only to have them dismissed by Crown Counsel. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Highway 1 through the Fraser Valley is finally back to normal tonight after part of it was shut down for hours this morning. The westbound lanes were closed at 8.30 after a gravel truck ended up in a ditch. The truck crashed through concrete barriers, its load and its fuel spilling across the highway. It took some time to clear the wreckage and clean off the road surface, and the highway was reopened this afternoon. The driver suffered minor injuries. A Vancouver woman who was involved in a road rage incident says she's frustrated with the police response. She says even though there is video of the confrontation, police are unwilling to pursue charges. Grace Key has her story and the video. Punches me there. Did you sit right there? Maureen Ryan was involved in a road rage incident that was captured on video. After she changed lanes, a man in a motorcycle pulls up next to her and hits her in the head. But it's what unfolded next that's being called into question. Then I turn my bike to him like I'm you. I want you to stay here. And then I turn it forward. See how fast I turn? And then I hit him with my arm. And then he he said, "Don't touch me." And then he does this. A few more strikes and then both bikes go down and Maureen stumbles back up. And I'm still woozy and I land, that's how I land over the other side of his bike with my head right in front of his muffler. I get over to my side, I go to get my bike up and as I go to get my bike up he kicks, that, so that's what you don't see, he kicks me and the bike back down again. It happened back in July on 41st and Victoria in Vancouver. After reviewing the video and interviewing both parties, police have decided it was not in the public interest to proceed with charges. Two people driving motorcycles did engage in maybe a uh, consensual fight or some sort of disagreement in which uh, they did push each other and it appears like there might have been hits back and forth. 
and after reviewing the video, the officer investigating believes that there is no charges to pursue at this time. Criminal defense lawyer Sarah Lehman says it's not clear in the video exactly what unfolded. It's difficult to say whether or not this maybe could have been a consent fight or whether or not there could have been any words, actions or gestures that may have caused this person to um, act out in the way that they did. The police say because I touched my bike to his bike. It's a wash. I've assaulted him with a deadly weapon. This isn't over. Maureen intends to go through small claims court for damages. Grace Key, Global News. A probe by BC's independent regulator confirms the Sea to Sky gondola's cable was deliberately cut in an extremely dangerous act. The report from Technical Safety BC, which includes the first pictures of the cut cable, says enough of the haul rope wires were cut while under tension that the rest snapped from the stress. Tests found no evidence the rope was defective. The vandalism occurred in the early hours of August 10th, causing most of the gondola's 30 cabins to fall to the ground, many of them damaged beyond repair. No one was hurt. RCMP are still investigating the sabotage. Operators hope to reopen the popular attraction by next spring. Closing arguments continue today in the murder trial of Andrew Barry. Barry is the Vancouver Island man accused of killing his two young daughters on Christmas Day nearly two years ago. Nadia Stewart was in court today. Defense lawyer Kevin McCullough continued to raise questions about the credibility of certain witnesses. He impressed upon the jury the need for them to use common sense as they work together to reach a verdict. Andrew Barry is accused of stabbing and killing his daughter, six-year-old Chloe and four-year-old Aubrey. Crown alleges he then tried to kill himself in December 2017. McCullough honed in on the testimony of the first RCMP officers on scene when the call came in that December day. He suggests at least one officer was visibly traumatized by what he saw when he first arrived and that the testimonies of the two officers do not line up with each other. Even more questions were raised about the nurses and doctors who treated Andrew Barry when he'd been taken to hospital. McCullough suggests they thought Barry was guilty of killing his two daughters and treated him accordingly. Barry's lawyer was also critical of the actions and testimony of Barry's sister, an RCMP officer whose identity cannot be revealed because of a publication ban. McCullough suggests her actions following news of the death of the two girls was focused more on self-preservation. Barry's defense is that a man with dark skin and dark hair attacked him in his apartment, even though the DNA of a fourth person was not found. Nadia Stork, Global News. Right now, though, BC Ferries is unveiling its draft designs for the future of the Horseshoe Bay Terminal. The West Vancouver Terminal dates back to the 1960s and is at capacity. BC Ferries is considering a revamp of the terminal building and a new exit from Keith Road. Plans for extensive blasting up the hillside could also make way for a second exit road that would allow two ferries to load and unload at the same time. Public feedback lists easy access in and out of the terminal as a priority. BC Ferries still wants to hear from you on the proposed changes, so online engagement runs until October 13th. Now is a great time to think about the future of Horseshoe Bay and the proposed second exit that is a way to improve efficiency. The second exit is currently being proposed um, next to the cliff area there. So yes, the second exit would require blasting. But as I mentioned, this is a draft concept. This is a draft option. And we certainly do want to hear from customers and residents. 
The Broadway SkyTrain expansion won't be up and running until 2025, but we now know where the Millennium Line will make its stops on its extended route to Arbutus. And Ted Chernecki shows us where the six new subway stations will be built and why these locations were chosen. Translake is fond of calling the Broadway corridor the busiest bus route in Canada and the United States. All those B-line buses will continue to be jammed for at least another five years, and then they'll all but disappear. But can merchants survive the expected onslaught of construction? I hope so. I hope I'll make it to the five year. I could see some businesses leaving now. A recent employee of TransLink spent two and a half years working on the Broadway project before becoming a private consultant. Most of his work with TransLink was finding ways to minimize disruptions. You know, there's a five-year construction period. There's, there's a period of time where we all need to work together to help deliver the project, but make sure you still have that access to business and access to transit to get along the corridor. We've heard that before, and the disruption along Camby Street when the Canada Line was being built resulted in several lawsuits that are still in the courts. Uh, I hope they, they learn a lesson from that so they're more prepared. Today, BC's Transportation Minister announced exactly where six stations will be built along the corridor from the existing Great Northern Way station. The names of these stations are preliminary. Mount Pleasant Station on the southwest corner of Main and East Broadway. Broadway, right across from City Hall. There'll be a station at Broadway and Laurel Street, primarily serving Vancouver General Hospital. The current Royal Bank at Granville and Broadway will have a station entrance. And finally, the last station will be on the northeast corner of Arbutus and Broadway. We hope that people will have patience while it's being built, but we know that in the end it's going to really help uh, everybody who lives and works in, in uh, the low mainland. There are signs going up where the new stations will be built. Construction starts in 2020 with the line opening in 2025. Then you can look for a fleet of buses up at the Arbutus station as UBC students line up there. Ted Chernecki, Global News. For two weeks, he lived a nightmare few parents can comprehend. His son, the subject of a Canada-wide manhunt, suspected of killing three people in cold blood. Tonight, the father of Briar Schmigelski is speaking to Global News about the turmoil in his life since his son and friend Cam McLeod took their own lives in northern Manitoba. Sarah McDonald reports. Every day it's been awful news. Every day. We met him on the side of Lowheat Highway. The father of one of the country's most high-profile teenage fugitives, jobless and homeless. Okay, but nobody wants to hire me because everybody would be distracted. Burdened by the now notorious surname of his son, Briar Schmigelski. Briar had four friends. Okay, really close friends. Who allegedly embarked on a killing spree spanning northern British Columbia in July with one of those childhood friends, Cam McLeod. The world knows they got halfway across the country. How many police officers were on this chase? The pair leading authorities on a cross-country manhunt spanning multiple weeks and provinces. All told, three innocent victims senselessly murdered. Their accused killers ultimately turning their guns on themselves. But nothing can bring back any of them. What we got to do is analyze what happened, where it all went wrong. And one crucial piece of evidence, along with this charred computer, could provide clarity. A final video message recorded by the pair on a mobile device before they pulled the trigger. But the boys had a cell phone the whole time. It was Briar's pay-as-you-go phone. He didn't pay into it, so the number was disconnected. Which may explain why authorities were seemingly unable to track it and their suspects. One lingering question. Where did two teenagers get firearms? 
in a case filled with so many. You have no idea my level of frustration. Okay, if you're frustrated as the media, how do you think when this is my little boy that I dearly loved? Only next of kin and investigators have viewed that final footage, which in part details the suspect's final wishes for their remains. I don't want any other kid to have to decide his only option in life is to go on a trip like this. The bodies of those two accused killers since released to relatives, five families now grieving, with the world left waiting and wondering why. And that is the big question that continues to linger over this case. In the meantime, Chris Sophie, all eyes remain on the release of details surrounding that cell phone footage and confirmation those weapons used in the suspect's suicides were also used to murder their alleged victims. Sarah McDonald reporting for us tonight. Aviation security is being questioned tonight after disturbing new allegations against an American Airlines mechanic accused of sabotaging a passenger plane. U.S. prosecutors now say he may have ties to ISIS after discovering some gruesome evidence on his cell phone. Tonight, federal prosecutors say when they searched the phone of an American Airlines mechanic who worked in Miami, they found an ISIS video showing people being killed. They say he forwarded that video to someone else and included a message wishing that Allah would use his divine powers to harm non-Muslims. The judge called the new evidence disconcerting and said it suggests the mechanic could be sympathetic to terrorists. The insider threat is the soft underbelly of airport security. His name is Abdul Majid Marouf Ahmed Alani, and he was arrested two weeks ago, charged with tampering with a flight sensor on an American 737. He told investigators he did it as part of a pay dispute to force a repair and get more overtime. Court documents say after tampering with the sensor, he went into the plane's cockpit to be sure the problem would show up on the instrument panel, which it did. So the flight from Miami to the Bahamas never took off. And uh, Tower American uh, 2834, we just, uh, we got to work a maintenance issue here. Just had some lights come on. Ilani is 60, a naturalized U.S. citizen born in Iraq and has been an airline mechanic for 30 years. American says tonight safety is its top priority and he's been fired. The backgrounds of people who service airplanes on the ground at airports worldwide has long been a security concern. That requires ongoing monitoring, ongoing security checks, uh, and background checks of all those who are touching the aircraft and airport security. Indonesia is sending 547 bins of trash back to Western nations after discovering they were contaminated with used plastic and hazardous materials. Nine containers with at least 135 tons of garbage were sent back to Australia today. They were among 156 bins that will soon be returned to the U.S., New Zealand, Spain, Belgium and Britain. The Indonesian government has stopped more than 2,000 containers in several ports since July amid a growing backlash that Southeast Asia is being used as a dumping ground for trash from the developed world. In the U.S., an anti-violence group formed after the Sandy Hook School Massacre is unveiling a chilling new PSA. The back-to-school warning from Sandy Hook parents takes a dark look at the threat posed by guns on campus. A caution, some of the content in this story may be upsetting. This year, my mom got me the perfect bag for back-to-school. It's been watched by more than 7 million since just this morning. Kids showing off their back-to-school gear, then using those items to escape from an active shooter. My parents got me the skateboard I wanted. It's pretty cool. 
The PSA culminates with a girl hiding from the shooter in a bathroom, texting her mom, I love you. I finally got my own phone to stay in touch with my mom. Nicole Hockley lost her six-year-old son Dylan at Sandy Hook. Why do a PSA that is it's hard to watch? We don't want people to turn away from it. Pretending it doesn't exist is not helping to solve it. These new socks, they can be a real lifesaver. The PSA tweeted out by nearly every Democratic candidate for president today as Attorney General Bill Barr was on Capitol Hill talking to Republicans about a proposal to expand background checks on some gun sales, though the president has not yet signed off on that. There are a lot of people in the administration that are very supportive. While lawmakers talk, community members are stopping attacks. Just today, a 17-year-old in Wisconsin and three teens in West Virginia arrested for threatening to kill people at school, joining a list of more than a dozen teens arrested so far this school year for making threats. Sandy Hook Promise runs programs teaching students and parents signs to look for. You've stopped things from happening. Yes. Without a doubt, we have. It's also heartbreaking at the same time because it was too late for us. Kate Snow, NBC News, New York. In Health Matters tonight, vaping-related illnesses have killed seven people in the U.S. And tonight, Canada has its first reported case involving e-cigarettes. It's an Ontario youth that was at one time put on life support as a result of a suspected vaping-related illness. Global's Richard Zussman has reaction from politicians here in B.C. First, it was south of the border, seven people dead from vaping-related lung illnesses. Now, one Canadian teenager in London, Ontario, originally put on life support as a result of a suspected vaping-related illness. No other cause, uh, no infectious cause. The only issue that was identified was that the individual vaped e-cigarettes. Little information from officials on the case, including whether the teen was using a legal vape product or an illegal one. But the case has led to the B.C. Liberals once again calling on the government to take action. We're heading into a, another school year here. We haven't taken any action as a province and vape, uh, vaping rates amongst youth are, continue to, uh, to skyrocket. The Liberals want to see stricter rules, including a ban on flavoured vaping products and better prevention programs. I've called for the NDP to invest the resources necessary in every middle and high school in British Columbia to fund uh, prevention, awareness and support programs. Health Minister Adrian Dick says the Liberal legislation won't address all the issues, pointing out a potential ban on flavoured products would have to be done at a federal level. Dick's promising changes on the provincial level will be coming. You can expect uh, shortly um, laying out within provincial jurisdiction uh, a strategy to address uh, vaping by youth and uh, to address what clearly um, is, uh, is a large and significant problem. Darian Sansala is a lab manager at CEV Victoria, where they produce legal vape juice. Sansala says the products can be used safely, but one of the concerns is that they're being sold at corner stores, where retailers rarely know the risks associated with vaping. People who profess in the vape industry obviously know a lot more about it than people who profess at selling gasoline. While the province grapples with the issue, the greatest fear is that the impacts that vaping has had on other communities will happen here. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. New details tonight on the production of what is said to be the most expensive TV series ever made. That's right after the forecast.
That is going to be pretty cool. Okay, let's check in with Christy and a look at our forecast. Before that, though, a beautiful shot of English Bay. Yes, look at that shot. Ah. <laughs> Certainly not the September we've been experiencing over the last little bit. So actually, I thought I would break down the numbers. It is beautiful out there, but we did see rain again this morning. So here's a look at the numbers. 65 millimeters to date. Average throughout this month is 51. And we're not done September just yet. So let's have a look at these numbers. The first week of September was sensational when the kids head back to school. We were still putting sunscreen on them. But then as soon as that second week hit, it was rain. And it has been ever since. Although a nice bright patch today but we change over to fall officially on Monday. So when you go to bed on Sunday, you'll wake up to fall, everyone. Here's a look at tomorrow, though. And over the next couple of days, we have some dry periods, so it's not going to be a complete soaker, but we do have some rain over the weekend. So tomorrow morning, it will be a little cool. We have clear skies tonight, so that will allow us to lose some heat. So 11 or 12 in the morning, but then in the afternoon, we'll start to see increasing cloud, warming up to about 17 degrees. Here's the front that's going to shift down to the region. Most of the rainfall staying north of our area. Chance of showers just touching into Whistler, but otherwise dry. And then Friday, more sunshine in store for us. Across the north, though, you will see periods of rain, and we'll see that down into the central coast as well. These areas here, just chance of showers later in the day. Down through southern BC, we'll see increasing cloud touching into Williams Lake and Valmont. Some rain for our area, though, dry. And we'll see a high of 18 degrees for Metro Vancouver, 17 or 18 degrees, uh, but dry, although maybe mainly cloudy by the end of the day. So for your Friday, that's the brightest spot. In fact, we'll warm up a little bit more on Friday, but over the weekend, back to more rain. Uh, the key, though, is it looks like that rain could happen Saturday night into Sunday morning, so meaning most of it while you're asleep, and you could end up with two dry days over the weekend. So hopefully that'll be the case. I'll leave you with a beautiful fall shot as we... Don't say goodbye to summer just yet, but a nice shot from Layla in Falkland, B.C., the morning sun, I'm going to mm -hmm. oh, Beautiful. That's and the gorgeous. mist. That's great. Thank you, Layla, for sending that in. Well, Amazon is about to take another step toward complete world domination with the latest announcement from its TV production unit. That's right. Amazon has confirmed that New Zealand will be home again to hairy feet and pointed-eared hobbits as the location for its new Lord of the Rings series. The multi-series adaptation We'll explore new storylines preceding J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring, and it's widely predicted to be the most expensive TV show ever made. Amazon bought the TV rights to the classic two years ago when TV screens were ruled by Game of Thrones. The series is likely to be a big boost to the New Zealand economy. It was between New Zealand and Scotland, apparently, and New Zealand got it. Well, the houses were already made. Yeah. Well, they were, yeah. That's where the movie Yeah, they had a whole, whole neighborhood looking like that. Canuck Nation breathes a sigh of relief now that the Besser deal is done. Is that how we kind of feel about it? Yeah, I would say so. Everybody's under contract now. Mm -hmm. The core is together. The core hasn't melted down. Uh, the deal is done. Now Brock Besser is back with the Vancouver Canucks. That means they can get him in some exhibition games. They can work on the power play where he will be trigger man number one. He was at practice today with that three-year contract in his back pocket. It was all smiles at Canucks practice because Brock Besser is back. Oh, it feels amazing. Um, you know, it, it was tough, uh, you know, seeing the guys going to battle every day. So I'm really glad that uh, it got done uh, now than, uh, rather than later. No, it was great, uh, great to see him in the locker room. He had a big smile on his face and, and uh, he's one of the, our core guys and it's nice to have him back in the room.
Despite missing the three-day training camp, Brock Besser is actually in a better spot now than last year when he couldn't train during the summer because of a back injury. Last summer, obviously, I didn't skate till you know after July 4th, and you know that that's a long time. Um, this year, I got to stay, skate at the start of June, so uh, it makes a huge difference just getting that ice time and working with all the different uh, you know my skills coach, skating coach. It's nice that he's had a whole summer to train now. I think we're. I'm expecting that we'll see a, a guy that's, like I said earlier, uh, he's just ready to go, where last year he was, he was fighting it a little bit. If there was one good thing about Besser's contract dispute, it was being able to spend time with his father, Duke, who is battling both cancer and serious heart issues. Uh, yeah, it meant a lot. Um, obviously, that was, that was a, a tough couple months there. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, even just spending that extra week, um, you know, he just started eating this past week and um, came really alert and, and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously he, he still has, you know, some delirium and hallucinations and stuff. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, that meant a lot to me to be there. And it really um, kind of let me relax a bit to see how well he's doing and how, while he's coming along so um, you know on that side of things it was really nice. Quinn Hughes had a rough game last night against the Oilers. He left the game twice once in the first period after being hit in the mouth with a stick and in the third period when he strained something. They won't say what he strained but whatever it was it hurt. Uh, this was the stick to the mouth in the first period. It looked accidental but it caught him below the visor there were definitely stitches involved, and it looks like he may have chipped a tooth or two as well. But when he came back after getting the mouth patched up, something was strained. So as a precaution, they took him out. Apparently, it's not serious. The other day, we did a story on how small defensemen are now accepted in the NHL. And a lot of those small defensemen, like Quinn Hughes, are either stars in the league or potential stars. Now... The completely opposite view on size from Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll. The Hawks coach believes it's better if you are big and you're a wide receiver. That's why they drafted six foot four DK Metcalf in this year's NFL draft. And that's why he's already a key part of Seattle's offense. Because we realize that they have, they have an advantage, you know, and the advantage kind of goes to the quarterback in a sense that when, when he sees big guys, um, they look open whether there's guys standing right next to him or not. Empty backfield. Wilson throws to the end zone. It is Metcalf for a Seahawks touchdown. I, I can't tell you that before that in football, I, I thought that much about it, you know, that I thought it was such an issue. But I, I realized actually looking at, at it from the offensive side that what it's a tremendous advantage. Champions League action. Big matchup, Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Angel Di Maria. For PSG, it's 1-0. That's a super finish. It is a super finish. And then Angel with another heavenly goal. See what I just did there? I noticed that. Thank you. You're clever. I appreciate that. PSG with the win over Real Madrid. Ooh, put a big A on Real Madrid for some reason. After five Olympic medals, ice dancers Tessa Virtue and Scott Moore have decided to stop competing. They are going to go on a cross-country tour starting in Abbotsford on October 5th. They have been ice dancing partners for 22 years. Of course, one of their Olympic medals 
was that gold and ice dancing at the 2010 games right here in Vancouver. They just what a moment. They just be together. <laughs> like it's not happening. Together, together. Not happening. Enjoy, enjoy it on the ice. That's where the, that's important. That's the important. Part. October 5th, Abbotsford. Coming up on ET Canada, Taylor Swift's newest obsession and what she's saying about Kanye now. Plus. Part two of our exclusive with Celine Dion, how she's working on being a triple threat, and a stunning announcement from one of Canada's most beloved duos. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. And you are totally getting that suit. I can't. I can't run in Carlos's league. You can do it. You can do it. (laughs) Elon Musk and SpaceX have been testing rockets in South Texas in an effort to eventually take humans to Mars. The launch pad is right next to a tiny neighborhood that has been transformed by the company. You move to a place like Boca Chica to get away from it all. There's a beach, one main street, and only a couple of dozen residents, tops. Perfect for retirement, Maria Pointer thought, until the rocket company moved in next door. Elon Musk's company picked this spot to develop, test, and maybe someday launch its new spaceship called Starship. They could be building a spaceship to take people to Mars right next door to you, and that's exciting. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah, when you're juicing your oranges and you're looking out at a spaceship. They're behaving as if this is Cape Canaveral, and it's not. It's not a a military base. It's just a regular neighborhood. And suddenly, because they're here, stop the presses. Everything has to change for SpaceX. Do you understand their frustrations? I can certainly appreciate their frustrations, but I got to look at the big picture. Judge Eddie Trevino Jr. is the top elected official in Cameron County. It's one of the poorest in Texas. SpaceX could bring in hundreds of new jobs and tens of millions of dollars. I think that's, that's a big, big win, potential win for us. I feel bad for those people, but hopefully they'll understand and appreciate at the end of the day, this was beneficial for the entire area. Which brings us back to Maria Pointer. On launch day, she had a front row seat. She watched this test launch. It sent Starhopper about 500 feet in the air. Oh my God. And landed a minute later. In my front yard. This is so crazy. She was thrilled. But when she thinks about the future of space here, she worries about her own. It's bittersweet. What would you say to Elon Musk as your neighbor? When do I have to move? That's what I would ask him. When do I have to move? <laughs> Sophie wants to go to space. She's an adventurer. Oh, I I That's you, good. I feel like there was a time. But you said you just wanted to go to the moon. I, I'm, I'm okay just watching others. Take a photo for me. In fact, I've seen a few photos. I'm good. <laughs> I don't like clothes, enclosed places spaces anyways yeah. tell me when one of these places the moon or mars gets like a four seasons or a hilton then there's i'm in the space hotel right we were talking yeah. about it the other that was day yesterday there was a, a basketball court again i'm not holding my breath that's going to be built <laughs> with zero in gravity our with zero gravity i could totally dunk on that basketball yeah. court. <laughs> <laughs> totally dunk right on me yeah thanks very much for watching have a great night everybody